0: a blood culture bottle in a microbiology laboratory can be likened to a golden chalice it's important in managing patients with suspected bloodstream infections or sepsis and cannot be overstated yes newer molecular tests are making their way into the clinical setting but this jar of liquid is yet irreplaceable how a blood culture is handled both at the bedside and in the laboratory are critical to the results obtained. However, over the years, blood cultures have grown a string of misconceptions behind them. Being the quintessential sample that it is, what better way to deal with these legends than by an episode of myth-busting? Welcome to today's episode of Microbe Mail. My guest today is Dr. Trisha Nana. She is a clinical microbiologist based at the Charlotte Mateke Hospital in Johannesburg, South Africa. Hi, Tricia. Welcome to Microbe Mail, and thanks for joining me. Hi, Vin, and hi to the listeners. Before we begin, remember to sign up for updates at www.microbemail.captivate.fm. You can follow us on YouTube or Instagram, and all of the links are available in the show notes. If you know someone who might enjoy this podcast, please share with them. Microbe Mail can be listened to wherever you listen to podcasts or directly on our website. So let's begin busting these myths. So Trisha, the first myth that I've got listed here, and it's something that we often hear about, and that is this concept of surveillance blood cultures. What are they and what do you think about them?
1: Surveillance cultures are collected from patients who do not have signs and symptoms of a bloodstream infection. In some units, when a new central venous catheter is inserted, blood is routinely collected from the catheter at the time of insertion. In other settings, surveillance blood cultures are routinely collected from patients who are transferred into a unit from another hospital. I think this is where diagnostic stewardship needs to come in. In most patient populations, these cultures are of little clinical value and they don't justify the associated cost and resources used. The detection of contaminants, even from newly inserted catheters, often skin commensals, can lead to unnecessary further laboratory testing and more importantly, unwarranted antimicrobial use, and sometimes longer hospital stays. This is clearly counterproductive when we consider what we're trying
0: to achieve with antimicrobial stewardship efforts. Thanks for raising those important issues about diagnostic stewardship and also the cost associated with these cultures. The second myth I've got listed here is that any volume will do in a blood culture bottle. What do you think about that? The ability of blood cultures to detect bacteremia
1: causing pathogens is proportional to the volume of blood collected. So, the greater the volume of blood cultured, the greater the culture yield. This is because bacterial and fungal density or concentration in most patients with a bloodstream infection is low. So increasing the volume to 35 to 40 mLs and even up to 60 moles from a single draw in adult patients is associated with increased sensitivity and specificity of results. Most blood culture bottles can accommodate eight to 10 moles of blood. So when large volumes are collected, four to six bottles can be submitted as a set. Another option is to do multiple draws of 20 to 30 moles of blood. Ultimately, the patient's severity of illness will determine the interval between collections. Multiple draws can be done within a few minutes of each other. The advantage of a single large volume draw is that it avoids delay initiation of empiric antimicrobials when this is important. I want to stress that for adult patients, a single set comprising of two bottles only for investigation of a suspected Bloodstream infection is inadequate. Underfilled bottles with a single set of two bottles will significantly limit the likelihood of bloodstream infection detection and likely result in false negative results. I can't overemphasize the importance of maximizing the sensitivity of blood cultures in critically ill patients. A positive blood culture allows for identification of a causative pathogen and antimicrobial susceptibility testing. Selection of effective antimicrobial therapy and guidance of appropriate duration of therapy is hence made possible. In addition, the pathogen ID may indicate potential foci infection
0: that require investigation. Thanks for clearing that up. I think a lot of people probably think that a single set of two bottles is usually adequate. The third myth I've got listed here is that you should always use a pediatric bottle for children.
1: So most pediatric bottles accommodate only
0: 4 moles of sample.
1: With older children with larger volumes of blood needed need to be cultured, the use of
0: adult bottles would be more appropriate. Okay, so is there a guide for a clinician to know at what age or perhaps even at what age, uh, what weight an adult bottle can be used? From 13 kilos onwards, up to 10 moles can be
1: collected from a single drawer. I think a useful guide for clinicians would be the IDSA Laboratory Diagnosis of Infectious Diseases Guideline, which provides guidance on the appropriate volume of blood to be collected based on children's weight. This includes the neonatal period as well.
0: Okay, so what about myth four then? Uh, A lot of people think that you only need to collect one bottle from a child. As with adults, increasing the
1: volume of blood submitted in children is associated with a greater culture yield. So the
0: IDSA recommends submission of one to two bottles for children. Um, And then let's move on to myth five. A lot of people think that the set of blood cultures collected must always include an anaerobic bottle.
1: So these days, anaerobic bacteremias are uncommon. There are certain scenarios where the inclusion of an anaerobic bottle is however, recommended. This would include cases where obligate anaerobes are suspected, for example, in necrotizing skin and soft tissue infections, abdominal infections, and certain types of head and neck infections. Also, in severely immunocompromised patients, for example, those underlying malignancies, and when the source of infection is not apparent, anaerobic bottles should be included.
0: Okay, so it shouldn't just be a routine use. Um, As a clinician, we should be looking and thinking whether it is a useful add-on or not. Exactly. Moving on to myth six. Um, Okay, so myth six A lot of people think that we have to wait for a full five days to call a blood culture bottle negative, especially before stopping or reviewing antibiotics.
1: So this is a particularly worrying myth. In fact, the vast majority of bloodstream infection pathogens, the blood cultures will flag positive within 48 hours. So decisions regarding the continuation or the de-escalation of antibiotics can be made at this point. Cultures that flag positive after 48 hours are often due to contaminant organisms that are present in very small amounts in the sample.
0: So basically what you're saying is that two days is sort of the cutoff point?
1: Yes. So at 48 hours, in conjunction with clinical, radiological, and other investigations, decisions can be made with regards to continuation and changing of antimicrobial therapy.
0: Okay, perfect. I think we're on our second last myth now. So, myth seven is that every patient with an infection requires a blood culture, and that would be over any other specimen type that can be collected.
1: Interestingly, it's been found that clinicians tend to overestimate the likelihood of their patients having a bloodstream infection. This, together with the fear of missing a bloodstream infection, is a driver for wide scale blood culture ordering. What is needed? is a more refined approach with consideration of the likely source or focus of infection and the likelihood of a secondary bacteremia. It's important to know that many infections are not associated with the bacteremia or fungemia. Examples would include an uncomplicated cystitis in most cases of community acquired pneumonia. So the bottom line is that samples from the focus of infection should be the primary targets for microbiological investigations with the addition of blood cultures when indicated.
0: Okay, so basically, if you know the source of infection, collect a specimen from that site. And if you don't know the location of the infection, then definitely try and include a blood culture. Correct. Okay, and now we've got our very last myth, and I think one fairly common one. And that is that the best time to collect a blood culture from a patient is when they have a temperature spike. So the sensitivity for detecting a bloodstream infection
1: is not superior if blood culture collection is synchronized with temperature spikes, as opposed to collecting blood cultures any within the 24 hour period when sepsis is suspected. Most cases of bacteremia are likely continuous bacteremias, and hence the strategy of a large volume single draw prior to initiating, anti- initiating antimicrobials is acceptable. So there isn't a need for routinely having a multi-sampling strategy but collection of samples prior to initiation of antimicrobials
0: is important. Okay. So basically, don't hang around the patient waiting for their temperature spike. <laughs> Definitely not. Not for busy clinicians. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Trisha. So having cleared the air of all of these myths, I feel as though we have a sense that our golden chalice blood culture bottles are shining even brighter than they have previously. So before I ask you for a take-home message, let's move on to our spotlight feature, which is crack the microbe code. Trisha, I'm going to give you a common English phrase and replace some of the words with microbe names. Your job is to decode the phrase. Is that okay? Yes, let's go for it. Okay, cool. Here's your microbe code to crack. It's raining toxoplasma gondii and toxocara canis.
1: It's raining cats and
0: dogs. Absolutely, it's raining cats (laughs) and dogs. So Toxoplasma gondii is a single-celled parasite causing toxoplasmosis. And just a reminder to everybody that the cat is the intermediate host. It's acquired through ingestion of infected meat vertically from mother to child, or even from contact with feces of infected cats, which may carry the eggs of the parasite. And then Toxicara canis is the dog roundworm. Again, here, human infection often occurs through contact with infected dog feces. Well done, Trisha. You get bragging rights for the rest of today. Yay. <laughs> so before we sign off, can you give us either a quick take-home message or some tips and tricks about how best to take a blood culture? So my take-home message,
1: there should be clinical suspicion for a bloodstream infection when choosing to submit blood cultures when possible cultures must be collected prior to starting antimicrobials with an optimized volume submitted and inclusion of an anaerobic bottle when indicated.
0: Perfect. I love those three. They're straightforward and simple. Thanks very much for joining me today, Trisha, on today's episode and hope to see you again on micromail soon. It's been a pleasure. We'd love your feedback on today's episode. So pop us an email or let us know on social media or YouTube. If you'd like to be a guest on this show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, please send us an email at mail.microbe at gmail.com. That's it from me, Vin, your Microbe Messenger. See you again soon with more Contagious Mail.